Welcome to the Power Trends Podcast, produced by the New York Independent System Operator, where we discuss energy planning, public policy, and other issues affecting New York's power grid. Welcome back to the Power Trends Podcast. This is your host, Kevin Lanahan, Vice President of External Affairs and Corporate Communications at the New York Independent System Operator. And in this episode, we are excited and pleased to have with us a special guest, Dr. Karen Wayland of the Gridwise Alliance. Karen's resume is impressive and extensive. I'll highlight a few of her roles and achievements. To start, she worked at the U.S. Department of Energy during the Obama administration and established a team for former Secretary Ernest Moniz there to conduct analysis and develop strategies. DOE's work with states and local authorities. She later served on the Secretary's Think Tank Energy Futures Initiatives, and she also served as a senior advisor for domestic energy policy with the Deputy Secretary Elizabeth Sherwood Randall. Her work leading organizations includes CEO of the Clean Energy Project, so as Legislative Director of the National Resources Defense Council, or NRDC, and Director on the Board And she also served on the board of the Center for Sustainable Energy. Dr. Whalen holds dual PhDs in geochemistry and resource development from Michigan State University, and she holds a master's of science from the University of Connecticut. Karen, welcome to the Power Trends podcast. It's a pleasure to have you. Let's start with an overview of the organization uh, that you oversee, what you stand for, your mission, and the vision, so our listeners understand the value proposition of the Gridwise Alliance. Similar to the NISO, you operate at that intersection of policy, technology, infrastructure, and the economy. So if you can explain some of that intersection from the Gridwise Alliance point of view. Sure. Um, Gridwise Alliance is a membership organization of utilities of all sizes and business models of tech companies, of grid equipment manufacturers and vendors, of regional transmission operators and others who are all working on articulating the benefits of grid modernization. And so we work at both the federal and state level. Most recently, we worked with Congress on the grid modernization provisions in the infrastructure package. And now we're very focused on how those provisions get implemented through the agencies. Can you talk in detail for us about the priorities you have with regard to the federal infrastructure bill and your work with Congress? Well, you look at our members, we have grid manufacturers, uh, grid equipment manufacturers and utilities. So we have both the kind of the people who are making grid equipment and the people who are installing, deploying it and operating it and repairing it and maintaining it. So what we're trying to do is to make sure that the way that the federal agencies implement the infrastructure package works for all of our members and all of our stakeholders and that we see a growing benefits from grid modernization as this federal money goes out through the states and into the electricity sector. As you talk about grid modernization for the ultimate goal of creating flexibility and resiliency and reliability, what do you hear from some of your members about the challenges that they face with infrastructure and climate change in deploying all that technology and making use of it? Well, climate change has two different sides. One is the mitigation side and the other is the adaptation side. And of course, the power sector has a role to play in both of those. So we have the issues with how we incorporate clean energy into the grid. And then we have the other side, which is how do we build out resilience for those extreme weather events and wildfires 
that we see as a growing threat to the electricity sector. And of course, part of resilience is also protecting the system from cyber threats and the possibility of physical threats, physical damage from malicious actors. So there's a host of things that our members are worried about and are looking for solutions for and are increasingly turning to technology that's more digital, that's more interconnected and and has autonomous features to it that will help to provide some of the solutions for both the clean energy integration and dealing with the resilience challenges that they face. Karen, some of the more recent questions around modernizing the grid have to do with balancing out the costs and where the investments are best made in order to support the grid of the future. What are your thoughts there with regard to the costs? Well, grid modernization can be an expensive proposition, but in particularly when you think about the growing dependence on the electricity sector, the growing need for not just reliability in terms of the fact that the power has to be on, but that that power quality has to be you know, really precise in keeping things, the voltage and frequency in very tight bands because of the economy's growing reliance on technology beyond the electricity sector that requires that excellent power quality. What we see is that the benefits of that grid modernization are very large, but they're sometimes hard to quantify. And so one of the things that we talked a lot about when I was at the Department of Energy was how we better value the benefits that we see and also how we better document the costs that happen when we get disruptions to our power system. So, you know, when you think about losing power, it's an inconvenience for some people. For some companies, even losing power for five minutes has severe economic costs to their business. And then, of course, if you look at something like what happened with the um, cold weather event that blew through Texas last year, people died because they didn't have power. And so there are real human costs and economic costs when we have disruptions in power. And so better quantifying both the costs and the benefits will help us make the case that speaks to the question about whether it's worth it to make these investments. How much would you say of what your members are focused on have to do with grid hardening and resilience at the transmission level, as opposed to the deployment of behind the meter or DER technology? Well, we need both grid hardening and distributed energy resources. They both provide different kinds of functions to the grid. So for sure, we know that when we harden the infrastructure, so for example, putting in steel poles or raising up substations so that they don't get flooded. That's the traditional hardening that we think of. Those have to happen, and they have to happen depending on the risks that a utility sees within its own geographical region, because those risks differ from place to place. So not every place has to worry about wildfire. But then you think about um, distributed energy resources, and those also have benefits to resilience. If a utility has visibility into the distributed energy resources and is able to control them, they may be able to use that distributed energy resources for localized power. And so for example, one of our members, Bandera Electric Co-op in Texas, was able to see through one of their control systems that some people were still charging their electric vehicles during this time of high demand. And they were able to contact the customers and have them unplug their battery storage. If you had a way of having that visibility and then also controlling how you move power around the distribution system, you could make sure that you moved power to the areas where people were, which was their homes, and away from the areas where they weren't, which was these big office buildings downtown where nobody was at work. So Karen, you've talked about the ability for companies and grid managers to have visibility into system conditions in order to create efficiencies and lower costs. 
Can you talk a little bit more about how to achieve additional resiliency? There's the visibility and knowing what's being plugged into the grid and how it's fluctuating in real time. And I mean, in minutes and milliseconds is also important to grid operators. So we see a variety of different tools coming online that allow grid operators to have both that short-term and the long-term visibility. And then you talk about California and the wildfires there. Some of the new technologies that are available allow for utility lines to be depowered as soon as they become disconnected or for grid operators to have cameras and other sensing devices on transmission lines and distribution lines that allow them to know when temperatures are getting too hot or the wind is moving the lines in a way that might bring them very close to vegetation. There's also interesting technology that transmission and distribution operators are using to monitor actual vegetation growth and to know where they need to go out and do vegetation trimming. So this grid modernization is beyond just the minute-to-minute operation of the grid. Okay, let's focus a bit more on the role of transmission and grid modernization and decarbonization. What are your views of the future in this regard? Well, we certainly need new transmission. So we know that new transmission takes a long time to get built. We need to address the siting and permitting concerns that states and localities have and some of the very convoluted federal level siting and permitting processes that happen. And that's not going to happen right away. I still expect it to take five to 10 years for a new transmission line to be approved and constructed. So in the meantime, we can address some of the transmission constraints that we're seeing with those grid enhancing technologies and also an increased deployment of storage. Karen, you raised the intermittency issue, and we're focused on addressing those challenges here at the NISO, too, especially as we experience the uh, accelerating retirement of some peaker plants that we've traditionally leaned on for reliability. So as we advance the, the grid of the future model, we also have to maintain reliability of the system. What are some of the thoughts you have around that issue, members, and, and what their message is to policymakers? Reliability is the number one concern for operating the grid. And that's so therefore for our members, it is the priority as, as well as affordability, because we know that reliable electricity and affordable electricity is critical to our customers, but also to the health of the economy. And so when we think about how new technologies are exciting and they can provide some very important benefits to the system. But reliability, it can't be compromised, and we also can't compromise that affordability part of grid modernization. And in fact, what we do believe is as we increasingly modernize the grid and adopt digital technologies that are more interconnected and that have autonomous healing and increased visibility, that they actually make the overall system more effective and do provide direct benefits to the customer that they will see in their rate. So, Karen, you brought up a really interesting issue we haven't explored very much here, but maybe if you can give us a few thoughts on the autonomous healing technology and explain what that is for the listeners that might not know and then the potential it might hold in a future with more extreme weather. Uh, Well, autonomous healing would be if there's some sort of damage to the system or a power disruption, the system knows immediately within milliseconds and is able to reroute power or to address internally some of the disruptions that the system has experienced so that the grid operator knows that it's happened 
but it may happen faster than the grid operator could have responded, you know, with regular technologies. And, and you think about what happens if a tree hits a power line and you can do automatic rerouting of power either to stop a wildfire from potentially happening or if there is some sort of disruption, quickly reroute power so that the neighborhood doesn't experience any disruptions or even that light flicker that sometimes happens during storms. So we don't have it everywhere, but where we have autonomous healing deployed, we are seeing real benefits. So another major focus for you in the organization is on cybersecurity. Can you give us a little bit of a character of the discussions that are happening down in D.C. these days on this issue, given not just the obvious issues, but then also the new geopolitical issues? People in Washington are very focused on cybersecurity. It's an issue that cuts across party lines. And I know from talking to our utility members that it is the one of the biggest issues that keeps our utility executives up at night. And it used to be that the worry was around protecting people's personal information. So the front of the house operation where you didn't want people's social security numbers or their addresses and their credit cards hacked and stolen. But now as the grid becomes increasingly interconnected and digitalized, what we see is this increasing connection between the operating systems, which used to kind of be in a bubble, and the IT systems and the communication systems. And so it presents a very attractive target for not just the guy sitting in the basement of his mother's house, but for hostile nation states. And we know that there are hundreds of um, incursions into utility systems every day. So attempts to explore and potentially not even at the moment create a disruption, but just to understand where the weakness points are so that later on those weaknesses are mapped and understood by you know hostile nation states as a way to threaten our system at some later date. And so we can never let our guard down and we can never back down from spending resources, including a lot of money, to harden our system against cyber threats. What I think we're going to see happening more and more now is that every piece of equipment that gets deployed on the grid will have some sort of internal cyber protections in it so that as you build out your system, as you modernize your system, you don't have to then layer on very expensive cyber protections on top of equipment that isn't protected. Especially given the war in Ukraine, there's more debate and focus in Washington on the energy system as a national security issue and the impact on and availability of fuel sources. What are your thoughts there? Well, when I think about energy security, I think of both the reliable provision of energy to consumers, but also the reliable secure supply chain around all aspects of our energy system. So whether it's the fuel input itself or the equipment that allows the energy to be transmitted. So certainly the Ukraine situation has heightened our attention to the fuel resources. So where is the natural gas that's produced in this country going? Are we going to have enough natural gas if we are then providing Europe with displacing their reliance on Russian natural gas. But I think we also have to pay attention to where our equipment is coming from. So there, there is some fear that China, Iran, North Korea, Russia, for sure, may be embedding some of the equipment that comes into this country with some sort of Trojan horse cyber threats that could be activated at a later time. And so when I think about energy security, I am kind of thinking of it more broadly than just that natural gas becomes this kind of geopolitical tool. 
So what that says to me is that we need to build resilience and think about it from a localized level. We need to make sure that I don't think it's going to be possible to eliminate disruptions entirely. I think we have to plan for those disruptions and make sure that we're protecting vulnerable populations and providing kind of critical infrastructure with backup power. But we also need to think about where our manufacturing is happening. And there are a lot of efforts right now in Washington to find ways to bring domestic manufacturing back to the United States. So it sounds like you're advocating for and highlighting this all of the above approach where we need that responsible and really sharp grid planning. We need to make smart investments. We need to get those programs up and running. And now we have to make sure that uh, that these companies that are developing the technology are, are part of the answer. That's right. One of the things that we're doing is developing what we're calling a technology portfolio. And we released the first white paper in December. And this is a, an initiative where we're aiming to educate stakeholders, the state regulators and policymakers environmental organizations that intervene in rate cases and anybody who wants to understand the grid better. So explaining what a particular technology is, what it looks like, what it does, and where it might be deployed on the system, whether it's in the, you know, commercially available or sort of in, you know, still on the lab bench, you know, where is it in the technology maturity curve so that we can help inform these conversations that have to happen and people can understand when a utility comes forward with an investment plan on technologies, what the functions are. And and I think one of the issues that we have to be very careful about is to not just look at the emissions reductions benefits of a particular technology, because we've been talking about all the resilience benefits that we need to have on our system and that are possible with advanced technologies. And so I think it's really important to make sure that we're not just looking at the carbon emission reduction. We have to think of a whole suite of benefits that we have to maximize and optimize as we go through these grid modernization projects. Karen, that was really outstanding. You've been generous with your time and generous with your answers. We look forward and and welcome other opportunities to collaborate. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for this opportunity. Thank you for joining us. As a reminder, the New York Independent System Operator, NISO for short, is responsible for reliably managing New York's power grid and energy markets and providing independent data to policymakers and the public. For more independent info, please visit the NISO blog at www.nyiso.com blog.